This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Classical letter, letter number 22. And the letter that we have here in the Tanya is actually just the middle of a letter. There's a long letter that precedes it, and um, it's worthwhile to read the original letter, to put everything into context. In the year 1792 or 1793, Alter Rebbe wrote this letter. At that point, the Hasidim grew the Hasidic community grew exponentially and um, it became impossible for the Alter Rebbe to see everyone in person. And he made certain enactments, certain rules, when a Hasid can come, how often he can come, which times, which times are permitted to come, and here in this letter, he complains. He complains very bitterly about his situation, that it's impossible for him to see everyone and in person. And especially, he was very bothered and upset that he felt that Hasidim are wasting his time asking about material things and he's begging his Hasidim, please don't bother me and don't come to me with your material problems. And it's a very strange because it doesn't seem like the letter accomplished anything. He saw people and answered people about the material questions before he wrote this letter during the time he wrote this letter and after he wrote this letter. <laughs> Continue to see people and answer material things. The only thing we learn, discovered from this letter is that he writes that um, only a prophet could answer material questions. So, okay, so he made the point that he's a prophet. <laughs> he can answer. But just to, to read the beginning of the letter, to really appreciate, I'll just quote here, you don't have it in the Tanya, but this letter we have elsewhere, by the Chabad Rabbeim, there were many miracles, just like their colleagues, amongst the Polish Rebbeis and other Rebbeis. But the miracles were under the table. No one spoke about the miracles. They were even embarrassed to even discuss it. It went without saying that there were miracles, miraculous stories, and divine inspiration, and prophecies. But, you know, that's not what the Alter Rebbe was there for. That's not what he... He was a Rebbe to teach us to have a relationship with Hashem, 
that teach us to become spiritual, spiritually robust and spiritually healthy. You know, he didn't advertise himself as a miracle worker. There were other rabbis that that was their claim to fame. They were miracle workers. They were they had connections above, and people flocked to them. Everyone needed a miracle. Everyone had their aches and pains, and he came to the rabbi, and the rabbi was able to perform miracles. In Chabad, this was looked down at. You know, the Rebbe would make fun, the Rebbe's would make fun, we call, they called the Tzaras Chassid, the Chassid who woke up, who became a Chassid, when he had a Tzara, he had a problem, all of a sudden, he's running to the oil, and all of a sudden, he's running to the Rebbe. Where were you yesterday, when everything was going well? Did you come to the Rebbe, teach me how to serve Hashem, and teach me how to be a good Jew, and teach me how to be a vibrant, robust, and have a healthy relationship with Hashem, teach me how to access my Neshama, teach me how to live? Well, then, then you never saw the chassid. Something comes up, he has a problem in rent, he has a problem in real estate, he has a problem. all of a sudden, he wakes up, oh, there's a Rebbe in this world. You know, that's not what a chassid or a Rebbe is all about. So in general, in Chabad, they used to frown in miracles. It says miracles were under the table, but no, no one bothered to even look there, no one even bothered to pick him up, no one even bothered to pay attention, because... You know, as one chassid complained to his, his uh, mashpiyah, to his uh, mentor, Chabad mentor, spiritual mentor, he says, you know, I was sitting with my friends and each one is boasting about his Rebbe, about, his, about how great he is, and he helped, uh, a sick woman came to him and he helped him, and a sick man came to him and he helped him, and a cripple came to him and he helped him. And it came to my turn about the Alter Rebbe. I had nothing to say. You know, we never discussed the miracles. It wasn't something that we talked about or something that we... So his response was, listen, let all the sick people and let all the cripples and let everyone run to the other Rebbe and let all the healthy people and people who want to learn how to be a mensch and people who want to learn how to live like a Jew and people who want to learn how to be a healthy Jew run to the Alter Rebbe. You know, to Alter Rebbe, the greatest miracle was that he made a Jew come alive. A Jew who was, wasn't passionate about his Judaism, who didn't appreciate his Judaism, by learning Hasidus, suddenly the Jew comes alive and has a live connection and relationship with Hashem. That's the greatest miracle. You take the mind, the brain, which is so cold, people who are so intellectual are so cold and detached and detached from their emotions and detached from their heart and detached from their soul make them come alive make the brain on fire put the brain on fire which is Chabad that's the miracle that's the resurrection that's the miracles as a miracle worker yes there were Kabbalists before the Baal Shem there were people who were known as miracle workers Baal Shems but that's not it's not what the Baal Shem it's not what Hasidus it's not what the Baal Shem came to accomplish so in general, Chabad always try to focus, always keep your eye on the ball, always focus on the point. Don't get carried away with side, side shows. Keep the, keep the focus on what matters. So Al-Trebbe was very upset. And he was becoming like a, a miracle worker, another miracle worker. And the multitudes 
or attracted to seek a miracle. And the Alter Rebbe in this letter is also very personally revealing. He says that it's, it's hard, very difficult for him. It's very hard for him. Because he says, I'm a, ver I'm a very sensitive soul. I have a very soft heart. and It's, it's unbearable for me to carry all this pain and to carry everyone's pain. He says, I just can't do it. It's not possible. And I don't have the time to study Torah. Where am I going to have the time to study Torah? Everyone is coming to me, thousands and thousands of people, and everyone is unburdening me with their problems and aches and pains, and thank God there's enough aches and pains to go around. It's, it's, not, it's not possible. So, so let, let me just read to you. I'll translate in English the part of a letter, the, the first part of the letter that's not in the Tanya. So it'll give you an idea of what Alter Rebbe is, is talking about. I'm begging of all Hasidim. From the bottom of my heart, please don't allow people to cause, be a cause of aggravation to me if they come to me at not, not at the appropriate time that's been allotted. You should follow the clear instructions when they're allowed to come, even visit. Liyajna. That's what Alter Rebbe resided at the time. And there were four times in the year when everyone was allowed to come. But he said, no one should try to have a personal private audience with me. As he writes in the introduction to the Tanya, I simply, it's not possible. I can't meet thousands and thousands of people. Simply, there's not enough time in the day. It's simply overwhelming. When Hasidim were a small group, when Chabad was a small group, I was able to meet everyone in person. But now he says, it's just not possible. Excuse me, this was written after the... No, before. Oh, a few years before. A few years before. Um, when, when he started first writing, when the Tanya was first started to be written in, uh, in not in a book form, but in a pamphlets. He says, and four times a year, everyone comes. It's not possible for me to meet everyone. Now, everyone wants to, wants to have a private audience with me. And then how do, I, how, do I, how do I differentiate? How do I say you yes and you not? And he says, and I'm so sensitive, he says, I it, it bothers me to see those who won't be allowed to come in. They'll become very jealous and they'll be very upset and I can't bear to see that. And in general, it, 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 it bothers me to no end. How can I push off, push away someone who's seeking and searching and wants to come and speak to me about spiritual things and I don't, I can't especially the new Hasidim who are attracted, which is important. I have to speak to them personally and privately, but, but I, I just can't. What can I do? So he says, only if there's, for those who already went into Yechidus and there's an exceptional, urgent need, which he has no options and he already exhausted all the, all, the, uh, all the alternatives and there's no one who can help him. And he's stuck and he, has to, he needs clear guidance. And he has to make a choice between this path or the other path. Then, okay, then I'll see that person. But other than that, he just wants to unburden his heart. Let him write a letter to me or transmit this information through my trusted person. 
and he can rest assured that I'll, I'll hear the whole story and if I have what to say, I'll say, if I have what to answer. But he, there's no reason, no point for him to come and to see me in person. He says, I, I can't express in words how, how it embitters my life, those who come and shear, unburden all their problems, because it goes into the depth of my heart. I, I feel their pain and I just, I just can't take it. It's just too much. And if they're not sharing with me things that are dire, so then they're just wasting my time, I, I, distracting me. I need, I need the peace of mind to be able to think and to be able to, to study and to learn. He says, I'm sure that the Hasidim, my, my friends, who, you know, we love each other, if you realize, if you realize how this is affecting me, how terribly this is affecting me, you wouldn't even bother, you wouldn't bother me with all this. You would rely on Hashem, and Hashem will help you. And then he writes in, in great modesty. He says, some manash say upon me things that I'm like one of the great ones, and I have abilities to, to help them. But the Rebbe says, I know how humble I am, I mean, I know how, how small I am, and And then he writes, there are times, he says, that I, 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 times I reach a point where I just hate, hate my life. He says, and I'm, I was thinking of running away. I'm just going to run away. I just can't, I can't, I can't do this. But I'm hoping to Hashem that he's going to open their eyes and open their hearts and they'll listen to me and stop, stop bothering me, stop haranguing me. Then he says, even Moshe Rabbeinu, the great Moshe, we don't find that people ran to Moshe Rabbeinu to unburden themselves about their problems. Yes, Moshe judged the people and they stood from the morning to the evening, but that was about Torah law. They were coming to be judged in the laws of the Torah. But you think Moshe sat all day and listened to every one individual's problems, all his headaches, and his marital problems, and his, his financial problems, and his, when did Moshe have time to study Torah and to, 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 to reflect on the Torah that he heard from Hashem? It's never happened. And that's the letter that we're going to read here. Al-Tarebi complained, he says, when did, where do we find this in Jewish history? Where do we find such a thing in Jewish history? People would go to the tzaddik, and ask him about his personal, personal, material matters. We don't find this anywhere. There were great tzaddikim throughout the generations. In the times of the Talmud, the Talmudic rabbis were giants. They performed miracles, radical miracles. Yet we don't find that people knocked on their door and stood in line and asked them, for help in the financial, financial matters or, or other matters. So he says, where, where, where do we find this? This was never done. Not Moshe, not Moses, not the Talmudic rabbis. These were all greats. So why, he says, why are you coming to me? 
Why are you coming to ask me all this? This is not the tradition. Although he does acknowledge that we do find that Shoal, the King Shoal, did go to the prophet to find out where the lost donkeys are. So he says, yes, the prophets, prophets people would go to. That's what a prophet, a prophet was a seer, a prophet knows, knew the future, a prophet. So when a Jew had a problem, he would go to the prophet to ask him where his lost donkeys are. It's the only thing we find in the whole of Jewish history, the only ones we find in the Torah, part of the tradition, is that Jews would go to the prophets to inquire. We don't find it amongst the Talmudic rabbis, even though the Talmudic rabbis did perform unbelievable miracles. Rapinchas ben Yoyer split the sea, just like the Jew, when the sea was split for the Jewish people, single-handedly split the sea. The, the uh, river Ginoi, he went to redeem the, uh, those who were in prison, and a miracle happened, and he, he, he split the sea. I mean, miracles, astounding miracles that were done by the Tamburic rabbis. Balshemsky miracles. But he says, we don't find that people used to go and ask them about their material well-being. The Talmud does say that if a person, if they're sick, you should go to the wise man in the city, they should pray for you. Okay? Something else. You ask them to pray for you. But we don't find that people would, would, would stand you know, with lines out the door asking and requesting for this tzaddik to help them and to resolve their material issues, financial issues. Now this is something that we find since the Baal Shem Tov, starting with the Baal Shem Tov. There was the Baal Shems before the Baal Shem Tov. There were Kabbalists or people who used to go around helping people. And, but uh, from the Baal Shem Teva, and this is what all the Hasidic Rebbe's across the board, including the Alter Rebbe, including all the Rebbe's, would help people. And people would stand out, lines out the door asking and requesting for all their needs and help, and their decisions. Um, that's the fact. Facts are the facts. Before he wrote this letter, while he wrote this letter, and after he wrote the letter, nothing changed. He did answer, and people did ask. And you know, the Rebbe once wrote is a correspondence with the Rebbe and the previous Rebbe. The previous Rebbe was, you know, discussed that how Chabad they didn't they looked down on miracles, miracles. That's not what Chabad is about. That's not the emphasis. That's not the focus. Chabad is about making robust Jews, healthy, vibrant, spiritually alive Jews, self-sufficient, independent, connected Jews who are consciously connected, whose Judaism is alive. Spiritually robust. And miracles were something that was done astounding miracles, but it was under the table. They were too even embarrassed. They didn't have no time to, to even notice or to even pay attention and to pick it up and to even look at the miracle. It was very precious, these miracles, because they were astounding miracles, but that wasn't, that wasn't uh, the focus. The Rebbe writes a letter pushing the previous Rebbe, pushing his father-in-law, encouraging and pushing and saying that he believes in today's day and age 
it's important to make miracles, and many miracles, an abundance of miracles. He says, why? He says, because the world, this was written in, in the 20s, 1920s, so the world has become so coarse and so crass and so atheistic, that was then, imagine today, <laughs> that the world needs miracles. Because when a person sees a miracle, it grabs you, it catches your attention. It demonstrates that there's a God in this world, that it's for real, that godliness is real, God is reality. When you see something supernatural, you see something miraculous, it's a wake-up call that there is a reality. There's a God, and there's a Torah, and there's a mitzvah, and there's the Jewish people, and there's, and there's a soul, and there's a meaning, and there's a purpose to life, and there's a mission. So it wakes you up. So even though miracles could be very superficial, and you know, the, miracles, the impression of the miracles can fade away pretty quickly, but we're so, we're so in this quagmire, we're sinking in this quagmire, this quicksand of materialism, that you simply need this powerful awakening and awareness that there is a God in this world. So he encouraged the previous Rebbe to, to um, make as many miracles as possible, and even radical miracles, wild miracles, like off-the-chart miracles, just to wake, wake the people up and realize there's a God in this world. And in general, the Rebbe used to say, you, know, you don't have Rachmanes on the Rebbe. Don't have Rachmanes on the Rebbe. Don't, don't, don't have too much pity on the Rebbe. Don't worry about it. You're burdening him too much. Lay it on thick. <laughs> that, that's something the Rebbe told one of the Hasidim. The previous Rebbe was here in America in the 1940s. I think it was Rabbi Kramer from Montreal. And he said, a Rebbe, that's what a Rebbe is there for. And to help the Hasidim. Don't have any mercy. When the Rebbe became Rebbe, so the same Chassid entered into a private audience and he unburdened himself and he laid it on thick with the Rebbe. The Rebbe says, yeah, you have to lay on everything on me. He said, I don't understand. You yourself told me. When it was the previous Rebbe, your father-in-law, you said, I have no Rachmanes on the Rebbe. You have to lay it on thick and you have to, don't have mercy on him. That's what the Rebbe is there for. The Rebbe says, you know, now I see things a little differently. Now I'm looking at it with a little different glasses. I'm, I'm on the other side of the table. Uh, you know, don't, don't, let's not get carried away. <laughs> um, so there's two perspectives. There's the Chassid's perspective, there's the Rebbe's perspective. The Rebbe lives everything very deeply and cares very deeply. And now um, the Rebbe is bearing his heart. He says, be honest, it's, it's too much. I can't. And then he criticizes. He says, where is this unheard of? What's the source for this? Where do we find this in Jewish history? Where do we find such a thing? Such a conduct, he says. He's criticizing the Hasidim. Where do we find such a conduct? Where is this? It's unheard of, he says. You're coming to a, a rabbi to help you? Physical matters? This is not the way. So although he felt very strongly about it, but he did continue answering. Chassidim <laughs> kept on coming and he continued answering. And the miracles were no less, no less astounding. So one thing he established that he says, a wise man can't answer on questions. A 
about material things. Only a prophet can answer with certainty. When the doctor tells you you should operate, how could the, how could the Rebbe say with certainty, don't operate? Unless, he's here, unless God is speaking to him directly. Unless he's a prophet. How do you take such a responsibility? You know, you're dealing here with life and death. It can't be 99.9% sure. You have to be 100% sure, 1,000% sure. So only someone who's talking directly to Hashem, and Hashem says, yes, no, don't. So the fact that all the Rebbes did answer, and they answered with certainty and with clarity and with, with life and death issues. So we know for certain that the Rebbe wasn't just a spiritual mentor, wasn't just a... Uh, Wise man, the Rebbe was a prophet. And now the Rebbe writes that Jews used to go to prophets. The only place where we find that Jews used to uh, go to the spiritual leaders and ask them was the prophets. Shaul went to Samuel the prophet, Shmuel and others. Although Moshe was the greatest prophet that ever lived and the greatest prophet ever will live, and Alter Rebbe uses him as an example, we don't find that Jews used to go to Moshe to discuss their well-being. Well, it's possible that the Jews didn't have any problems, you know, in the desert. They were, what did they have? They had all the food they needed, they had all the, the manna, they had surrounded by the clouds, they were healthy, they, they, they had everything they needed. They had nothing to complain about. All they had was the Torah and spiritual needs. But we do find clearly that prophets used to go. He went to the prophet to find out where the lost donkeys are. Shaul's father sent him to find out where the lost donkeys are. So we see clearly. So the Jews do have a sixth sense. The Rambam writes, right before Mashiach comes, prophecy will return. So the Baal Shem Tev was a taste of Mashiach. So starting with the Baal Shem Tev, prophecy returned. Because the Baal Shem Tev was a prophet, the Magid was a prophet, the Alter Rebbe was a prophet, the Mittler Rebbe was a prophet, the Zemel Tzedek was a prophet, the Rebbe Marash was a prophet, the Rebbe Rashab was a prophet, the previous Babaj Rebbe was a prophet, and the Rebbe was a prophet. So the Jews had the sixth sense, the prophecy returned, so they, were, they, they went back in line to find out where the lost donkeys are. <laughs> the prophet is here, we can ask him these questions. Well, the Rebbe writes in his great modesty, he says, they're saying, they're saying things about me, they're comparing me to this great prophet, and they're asking me all these questions. So, who oh, yeah, you know, I'm... Uh, in his modesty, he tries to say that I'm not, I'm not who they think I am, and what do they want from my life? And, but um, Jews do have a sixth sense, and uh, <laughs> you can't fool the community, all the time. The whole community, all the time. So, Hasidim were right on target. They assessed the Alter Rebbe correctly. As Rebbe, with all due respect, you are a prophet, and therefore we're going to ask you these questions. But this is a letter that Alter Rebbe writes. Um, George's father, on his 80th birthday, spoke by, for the Shluchim, all the Shluchim, George Rohr's father and Sammy Rohr, and he said, this is what made him a Lubavitch chassid. When he read this letter, he says, oh, I found my Rebbe. He says, this is a Rebbe who's not here to answer physical questions. He's not a miracle worker. 
he is here to mentor, to facilitate, to help you, help yourself. I said, I found my Rebbe. I'm not looking for a, I'm not looking for a crutch. And I'm not looking for a miracle worker. I need a Rebbe, a real leader. This, this, when I read this letter, he says, I found it. And he never came to, he never bothered the Rebbe for anything. He says, I refuse to come to the Rebbe because I'm, I don't want to bother the Rebbe with my personal problems. He came once to the Rebbe. Only time he came to the Rebbe and he saw the Rebbe. He came to thank the Rebbe because Rabbi Lipsker, he was a congregant in the shul and he helped build the shul. So Rabbi Lipsker said, basically the Rebbe said that everyone should try to teach Torah. So he encouraged him, he says, you know, you should give a class. Torah. You're knowledgeable, you, 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 you study. Besides being a very successful businessman, you study. So teach a class in Torah. And he did. And he said it, it, it was a tremendous thing for him because he had these questions that the students would ask him really made him go back to the drawing board. These, weren't, these were like unbelievable questions that you don't find in the regular commentaries. You have to dig and study it. He said he studied Torah almost for like the first time, really going in depth and having to answer all these unbelievable questions that people had. So he pushed, came to thank the Rebbe for encouraging him to teach and it like opened up a whole door for him. But this was the letter that he lived by. This is the letter that made him a Lubavitch Chassid. This is the letter that brought him to Chabad and that caused him and his family probably gave hundreds of millions of dollars to Chabad and opened hundreds of Chabad houses, the most beautiful Chabad houses, including this one that we're in all over the world. It's all from this letter. This is what hit home. This is what made his connection to Chabad. He says, I find my Rebbe. This is my type of Rebbe. Uh, he's not here seeking people who need crutches, who need help, who are sick and problems. And that's not what he's here for. A good, I'm, I will help, and he has helped, and will continue to help. But that's not what a Chabad Rebbe is about. That's not what Chabad is about. It's not what Judaism is about. Judaism is not about magic, magic and hocus and pocus and miracles. And the greatest miracle is leading a Jewish life and leading a healthy life, a wholesome life, a deep life, a profound life, a meaningful life, a purposeful life, a vibrant, spiritually passionate, alive, be alive as a Jew, a joyful Jew, a vibrant Jew, a Jew with a sense of mission, sense of purpose. That's the greatest miracle. That's what the Rebbe prided himself. This is what I want to help. I want to help. I want to be able to help every Jew. And even that, he says, I don't have time. I don't have time to see everyone. It's physically not possible. The, the community grew so big, so large. Uh, it's not possible. And it's not fear. Why him? I should see him. I shouldn't see. That's why he wrote the Tanya. He says, I wrote the Tanya because it's simply not possible. I want everyone to go into my private audience. I'm writing the Tanya. When you learn the Tanya, it's as if you're entering into a private audience or I'm enabling you. I'm giving you the tools to have that experience. Meeting the Rebbe inside of you, meeting the divine essence that's inside of you and helping you access the Rebbe inside of yourself, becoming self-sufficient, independent, strong, connected, So this is a letter you don't find any other Rebbe writing such a letter. No other, other than Chabad, you won't find any other Polish Rebbe even expressing himself this way. That was a central theme of the Polish Rebbe's, that the Chassid depends on the Rebbe, and the Rebbe is the intermediary between <coughs> heaven and earth, and, and, uh, and that's what makes you a Chassid. You rely on the Rebbe, you depend on the Rebbe. And that was to be expected. That's the Rebbe's role. In the Chabad Hasidism, that's not the Rebbe's role. Actually, it was Alter Rebbe's uh, colleague, Rabbi Melech of Lijensk, 
that said, why does the whole world come to me? Once looked outside and he sees thousands of people lined up and everyone is coming with their heartache and their, and their problems and, their, and there was plenty of problems. He says, you know why they're coming to me? He says, because it says everyone is obligated to say that the whole world was created for me. In other words, if I had my act together, if I individually, single, as a single, if I individually had my act together, Mashiach would be here. The world would be perfect. So why are all these thousands of people suffering? It's because I don't have my act together. So they're coming to me, my problem is your fault. You got to help me. You put me into this situation. You don't have your act together. You're not being the way that the Melech should be. That's why you have all these repercussions. So Rebbe, you must help me. It's your problem. It's not my problem. It's your problem. I have to help them. They're right. <laughs> so this gives you a little insight into the thinking. This was the Alter Rebbe's colleagues. So they, were, they were great Jews. I mean, you know. So, but whatever it was, that was the role of the Rebbe. The role of the Rebbe was the connection between heaven and earth. And you connected to the Rebbe, by connecting to the Rebbe, you connected to heaven, and the Rebbe helped you, and that was to be expected, and that was. But the role of a Rebbe in the, in the Alter Rebbe's view was different. Alter Rebbe wrote to Tanya, the world's first self help book. His goal was to help you help yourself. Like we learned in today's Maimonides, today's Rambam, there are eight levels of giving tzedakah. What's the highest level of giving tzedakah? If you give someone fish, he has what to eat. If you show him how to fish, he'll never need again. The ultimate level of giving tzedakah is to teach a person, uh, help a person stand on his own two feet. Put him up in business. So he'll never need anything from anyone again. That's the ultimate teacher. The teacher who teaches you how to help yourself, to learn yourself, to become self-sufficient. Alter Rebbe says, I don't, I'm not looking, people look at me to be dependent and to be, to be a crutch. And that's, not, that's not what I want. That's not what, that's not what I'm here for. That's not what this is about. I'm not happy when people are dependent on me and look at me as a crutch. That's not what I'm here about. I'm actually very unhappy. I want you to be strong. I want you to be independent. I want you to be self-sufficient. I want you to have a vibrant relationship with Hashem, you have a problem, talk to Hashem. What, what do you want from my life? So this is a classical letter. Alter Rebbe reveals his soul, reveals where he's coming from, reveals his whole way of thinking, which is unique and different. So in all the Hasidic books, you won't find such a letter, only in the Tan. Fascinating. From the Balshemtiv. You'll never find anyone write such a letter in this vein of thinking. The Rebbe was crying and complaining and begging and pleading, don't come to me, please. So it's one of those originals. <laughs> so let's learn in the Tanya. My beloved, my brother and friends, out of my hidden love for you springs an overt view. Come now and let us debate. Remember the days of old, consider the years of every generation. Has such a thing ever happened in days past, where indeed have you found such a custom in any of the books of the early or latter sages of Israel, that it should be the custom 
and establish norm to ask for advice in mundane matters as to what one ought to do in matters of the physical world. Such questions were not asked, even of the greatest of the former sages of Israel, such as the Tanaim and the Amoraim, the authors of the Mishnah and the Gemara, from whom no secret was hidden, and from whom all the paths of heaven were clearly illuminated. And the Talmud relates astounding miracles, astounding miracles that were performed by the rabbis. It says the smallest rabbi had the ability to resurrect the dead of the, 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 of the Tanoim, of the, the Talmudic rabbis. You're talking about the abilities they had. They were so holy that they, were in, they had the power. They were in control. They can turn nature upside down and they can do whatever they want. And yet people did not line, line beat a path to the door and knocking down the door and asking them for their help with their physical needs. But only of actual prophets who used to, who used to live among the Jewish people, such as Shmuel, the seer to whom Saul went to inquire of Hashem through him about donkeys that his father had lost. Why indeed were sages of stature, such as the Tanaim and the Amoraim, not asked about mundane matters? For in fact, all matters pertaining to man, except for words of Torah and the fear of heaven, are apprehended only by prophecy. The rabbis, because of their mastery of the Torah, the whole world was created through the Torah. Torah is the blueprint of reality. So by mastering the Torah, the rabbis of the Talmud were also masteries of the world. But they were not prophets. The era of prophecy came to an end. A prophet, what's the definition of a prophet? Someone who God speaks to directly. Joseph was not a prophet. He interpreted dreams, divine inspiration. But those in the Torah that God speaks to directly. God spoke to Abraham, and he spoke to Isaac, and he spoke to Jacob. They were prophets. He spoke to Moshe, he spoke to Aaron. They were prophets. Spoke to, you know, so those who God spoke to directly were prophets. The rabbis in the Talmud were masters, and they were masters of the universe, because they were masters of the Torah. And therefore, they were able to perform all these wonderful miracles, but we don't find God speaking to them directly. A prophet... As the Torah says, God says, don't follow the seers and the, the psychics of the world. How are you going to ask? If you need to ask, who are you going to ask? So I says, I'll, I'll give prophets. I'll create prophets. And any question you have, just go to the prophet, and the prophet will answer you, because the prophet, I'll speak to the prophet, and the prophet will give you that answer. So only a prophet has that ability. God is speaking to directly. It's not just a holy person. Not just a master of the Torah, but a prophet is a whole different league, a whole different category. Like the Baal Shem Tov's teacher. Who was the Baal Shem Tov's teacher? Baal Shem Tov's teacher was Achi Hashilani, the seventh in the line of the transmission. All the sevens are beloved, but he was a prophet. So the whole Hasidus is based on a prophet who lived over 500 years old, who stood at Sinai, who anointed, who was part of the court of uh, David, and he led the court after King David. King David was the sixth in line, and he was the seventh in line, and he was the one who anointed Elijah the prophet. So the whole Hasidism is like prophecy. It's taken from prophets, like, like mother's milk, directly from the word, the word of Hashem. 1,000% down to the last detail, everything is so pure and holy and transmitted. So only a prophet has the ability to answer these physical questions. Likewise, seven things are hidden. No man knows how he will earn his living, nor when the kingdom of David will be restored, that is, when Mashiach will come. 
Note that these two questions are likened to one another. Just as no one knows exactly when Mashiach will come, so too no one knows by what means he in fact will attain his suffering. To the wisest of men don't know. The holiest of men don't know. How many deadlines were there that were written and published by the greatest rabbis? And it didn't happen. Mashiach did not come. They saw something that year that they designated was an auspicious year. All the explanations of the bottom line is no one knows exactly when Mashiach is coming. Nobody. Can anyone tell you the minute, the hour, the day, the time? Nobody knows. So the same thing is just like nobody knows when Mashiach comes. Nobody knows where your Parnas is coming from, where your livelihood is coming from. If there was anyone around who would know, believe me, Golden Sachs would already give him an open <laughs> open uh, <laughs> What? Open check. Whatever price he has. Just tell me which stock is going up when exactly and how much exactly. Tell me the lottery number. and No one knows these things. It's a mystery. It's hidden. It's concealed. Only Hashem knows. Alter Rebbe used to say, we say in davening, in the high holiday davening, he says, God, only you know the secrets of the world. He said, the secrets of the Torah we know. There are those who know the secrets of the Torah. Hashem gave us the Torah. And there are those, the masters of the secrets of the Torah. But the secrets of the world, the secrets of life, who earns a living, who doesn't earn a living, what happens in life, how life unfolds, only you, God, Atta Yadeya, only you, Hashem, knows these things. These, these are hidden. These are concealed. Nobody knows. So, so even the wisest men doesn't know. That's what he says. Wise men don't have bread. The literal meaning is that the many rich people are not the wisest. <laughs> and they're, they're wealthy. Wisdom has nothing to do with success. If you have mazel, if Hashem wants you to be wealthy, you can be the most foolish person in the world. You're going to have success. And, and people who are very wise and are poor. All their wisdom and all their brilliance can't make ends meet. So, so success in life has nothing to do with wisdom. But he's saying in a deeper level that even the Chachamim, even the wise ones in the Torah, those who are wise in the Torah with all their greatness and holiness, no one knows lech, where your bread is coming from, how your parnasa, material things is not given to us. It's, not, it's a secret, it's a mystery. And um, that's in the hands of Hashem. We have no choice in these matters. We have no say in these matters. We have no knowledge in these matters. Anyone who tells you he has knowledge in these matters is a fool. We don't know. No one knows. People make predictions. Yes, sometimes they're right. That's the times you hear about. <laughs> All the times they were wrong, and they bet the farm on it, and they lost their pants and their shirt, that they don't mention. They only mention the times they were successful. No one knows the future. Things come out of left field. Who could have predicted... You look back in history, who could have predicted, anyone would have told you what's happening now, you would say, never, it can never happen. It's, no one knows how things unfold. It's, it's all mysteries. Anyone who tells you he has a crystal glass, he knows exactly how the world is going to happen in 10, 20 years. They try, they try to figure out trends and figure things out. Then things come out of the blue and things unfold in ways we can never, ever have predicted. So, these things are really beyond. Only Hashem knows. 
as for the phrase in Isaiah, a counselor and a man whose wisdom silences all, suggesting that the federal wisdom qualifies one to advise in other fields as well. And also as for the statement of our sages of blessed memory regarding one who studies Torah Lishma for its own sake, that people derive from him the benefit of etzah, so we see the prophet as well as in Ethics of Our Fathers, chapter 6, the last chapter, it says clearly that the wise men are given the ability to advise wisdom and counsel. So how can you say that the wise men do not have the ability to counsel? These teachings refer specifically to counsel in matters of the Torah, which is called Toshia, assistance. Thus the sages of blessed memory said, a counselor is one who knows how to intercalate years, making certain years leap years by interpolating an additional month of Adar and how to determine the months, establishing what day is Rosh Hodesh, the first day of the lunar month, or in Torah terminology, the principle of intercalation is called counsel and a secret. As stated in Tractate Sanhedrin, page 87, see the commentary of Rashi there, which states explicitly that the terms counsel and advice are related to the principle of intercalation. And so when he says they, that they, uh, they're blessed with with the ability to give counsel and wisdom, it's not referring to material matters, advice and material matters, advice with health and financial matters and other matters, personal matters. It's advice on figuring out the, uh, the calendar and other such things. So al Rebbe established that this is was never done in Jewish history. The only place, the only place we find that people would go to the prophet, the prophet. Hashem said the prophet could answer you all your material questions that you have. Hashem speaks directly to the prophet and answers him. But the wisdom, with wisdom, you cannot answer these types of questions. Now, Al Rebbe is going to explain where does this come from? Why? Why do the Hasidim insist on coming and seeking out answers for material things? Why are they coming to the Rebbe to ask for material help? You know, the Rebbe is not a doctor and he's not a financial advisor and he's not... Why are they coming to the Rebbe to seek out, seek out their advice? However, I shall relate the truth to those who listen to me. Love upsets the natural order of conduct, for it is a covering of the eyes that prevents people from seeing the truth. So the Alter Rebbe is rationalizing. He's saying, he acknowledges that the Hasidim mean well. It's out of their love, not because they're materialistic seekers, they're seeking materialism and they're seeking materialistic satisfaction. No. They want to serve Hashem. And it's, you can't serve Hashem properly when you're sick and you have worries and you're anxious and you have problems. And so they are seeking to resolve the material problems not for its own sake. They want to serve Hashem. 
They love Hashem. And they love Hashem so much, they want to serve Him. So therefore, they're going to jump in every opportunity. Like a drowning person will, 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 will try to hang onto a straw. So they say, oh, maybe the Rebbe can help me. The Rebbe is a miracle worker. He's a holy man. He has a track record. So let me unburden myself with the Rebbe. The Rebbe can help me and remove this problem. And now I'll be able to serve Hashem properly. So, so the Rebbe is, is rationalizing, is justifying, rationalizing, explaining where the Hasidim are coming from. But he says the problem is because of their love. They love Hashem so much and they want to serve Hashem so much that they're not seeing straight. You see crooked. Love makes you see crooked. <laughs> they're not seeing properly. This is not the right approach. That They're approaching this all wrong. He understands that it's, it's, it's well-meant and well-intentioned and it's coming from a loving place. And he acknowledges that. But that's the problem. Love is blind. And they're not seeing properly. And they're coming to such an, a wrong conclusion. The Alter Rebbe is quick to insist that his listeners' love for the life of the body is no doubt motivated by a spiritual purpose. Nevertheless, they become so enmeshed in this love that they soon come to love the life of the body for its own sake as well. This latter love upsets the natural order to the point that it drives people to seek advice on material matters. Because of their great love for life of the body, though this love is indeed experienced for the sake of heaven, so that with the body they can serve God with flashes of fiery fervor and an ardent flame, this love being even greater than their own soul's love for God. He's saying that a Jew realizes that we need the body. The body is an ally. Why did the soul have to come down into this world when the soul loved Hashem before it came down into this world? But the love for Hashem that the soul has on its own is lacking. It doesn't have the same fiery element as when you engage the body. Because the body is passionate. The ego is passionate. The body is passionate. We physically, we're passionate about the physical urges and desires that we have. So when a person has a healthy body and he serves Hashem with a healthy body, when you engage the body, this intensifies, intensifies the love that we naturally have, the soul naturally has, and adds a dimension to that love. That it becomes a passionate love, a fiery love. Just like a love for something physical. A love for something physical is, is, is fiery, it's, 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 it's robust. It's, it's So if you... If you Take that love and harness it to Hashem. Your love for Hashem will also be a very real love, a very powerful love. Just like the animal is more powerful than the human. That's why the, animal, the human rides the animal. By riding the animal, the animal can take its places we can never get to on our own. So when the soul rides her and the soul rides the body, and transforms the body to love Hashem, the ego and the natural soul and the animal soul to love Hashem, then there, there's a, uh, a depth to that love, there's a power to that love. It becomes a fiery love that the soul doesn't have on its own. The soul's love is more cerebral, abstract, calm. So that's why they want a healthy body. They want a healthy body not just for the sake of, of materialism, as an end in itself. No, it's in order to serve Hashem properly and to add a whole dimension 
in our service of Hashem, which you can only do when you have a healthy body. And then you can trans- transmute that love. So that's the reason why it's so they, they feel the urgency. They need to s- resolve the material problems in order to serve Hashem properly. So the motivation is noble. He's, he's, he's basically explaining the Hasidim that motivation is very noble. He's commending them. It's wonderful. It's only out of this love for Hashem that they're being blinded and they're coming to a very wrong conclusion. The way they're going about this is all wrong. They're it, extremely irate when their body undergoes suffering. Heaven forfend. May Hashem show compassion. Thus, they are not able to bear it at all to the point that it drives them out of their mind, causing them to tramp about from city to city to seek advice from afar. But why indeed does Hashem cause suffering? Moreover, how are we respond to life's difficulties if it is not proper to seek advice on them from Torah sages and Sadikim? The altar Rebbe goes on to explain. Those who seek merely to be rid of their physical afflictions are not, fo- are not following the proper path of the Torah. For in doing so, they do not turn to Hashem by penitently returning to Him with humble spirit and submission of the body, to accept His chastisement with love. For it is Him whom Hashem loves that He chastises. No, Hasidus is here to develop a personal relationship with Hashem. So the, the, the Rebbe says, you're traveling for weeks. You're wasting your life, disturbing your life. To come to me, talk directly to Hashem. There's a famous story of Hillel Paracher, probably the biggest Lubavitch Chassid that ever lived. So once he felt that his davening was not up to par, his level of spiritual service was, wasn't advancing and uh, he felt he was maybe regressing, so he decided to go to the Rebbe, third Lubavitcher Rebbe, to visit. And he, he hired a wagon driver to take him to Lubavitch. And on the way, they stopped at an inn. And... Rav Hillel started davening. It was time to daven in the morning. He started davening. And he ended up davening for like eight hours. And the wagon driver was shocked. He said, I don't understand. You hired me. You paid me. He said, you're rushing to go to Lubavitch. I thought you're going to daven a half hour. We're going to run to Lubavitch. We could have made it today. You spend all day here. We missed the day. We're not going to arrive. So he says, listen. I'm going to Lubavitch to the Rebbe is going to help me teach me how to daven. I was davening at the inn and I had the best davening I had in a long time. I felt inspired. I felt connected. So I, I had the Rebbe with me here. I had, I had my, my whatever I needed in Lubavitch I found here. A Rebbe is, is one with Hashem. A Rebbe is about a connection to the divine, to the godly. To awaken our connection to Hashem. Direct connection with Hashem. So the Rebbe says, your love 
You're doing it for Hashem. You're, you're good Jews. You're good Hasidim. You're thinking about Hashem and you need a healthy body. You have to get, get rid of all your worries and the distractions in order that you can serve Hashem properly and engage your body, engage your animal soul, engage your ego, transform, transmute, so you can develop a passionate, robust love for Hashem, which is something the soul can't do on its own. And the soul gains by having a healthy body and having... But this love is blinding you. Wasting all your time coming and coming, schlepping to me, asking me to help you. Stay where you are. And daven directly to Hashem. This is what I'm all about. A chassid is someone who has a relationship with Hashem. That Judaism is not just the rules and laws and do's and don'ts. And a chassid is someone who Hashem is alive for the chassid. A chassid is someone who loves Hashem. A chassid is someone who is in awe of Hashem. A chassid is someone who is constantly thinking about Hashem. A chassid is someone who is completely egoless and nullified before Hashem. A chassid is someone who is humbled before Hashem. A chassid is someone who is inspired by Hashem. Hashem is constantly challenging the chassid. Hashem is constantly inspiring the chassid. The Torah comes alive. Every time you do a mitzvah, it's a connection with Hashem. Every time you're davening, you're talking to Hashem. Every time you're studying Torah, it's as if Hashem is sitting right in front of you and talking and, and teaching you Torah. So, haven't I taught you anything? What do you have to spend weeks on schlepping and coming? Talk to Hashem. You know, every Jew has that simple faith. The famous story of the Baal Shem Tov. It was a simple Jew. The Siddur was too complicated for him. The prayer book was too complicated. He just couldn't figure out uh, Sunday you daven this and Monday you add Vurachum and some days you say Tachn, some days you don't. And the order of the prayers, he was completely confused. So once a month he would come to the Vashem and the Vashem would show him, write down this day you do this and this. Everything had to be very clear and very simple. You know, prayer for dummies. Very simple, very clear. And he had all his notes and his papers. And the Baal Shem Tov go, walks away and goes away. And then uh, his muzzle, he drops his siddur. All the papers went flying. Everything is for naught. He's confused again. He has no... He starts running after the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov is already way ahead. And he sees the Baal Shem Tov comes to a river. And um, he sees the Baal Shem Tov takes out his handkerchief throws it on the river and walks across the river on the handkerchief. He needs the Baal desperately. The Baal is on the other side. He's stuck on this side. He doesn't know from anything. He saw what the Baal did. No problem. He takes out his handkerchief, puts it on the water, and he walks across. <laughs> and he runs and catches up to Baal The Baal turns at him. He says, how did he get here? He said, what do you mean? I, I saw what you did. You took out a handkerchief, you put it on the water, and you walked across the water. I did the same thing. Shantar says, you know, just continue davening. Whatever you daven, this is good. <laughs> You're doing okay. <laughs> so that simple faith that every Jew has that you can reach the highest levels with a simple faith, which is infinite and unfathomable and, and so deep and it's a piece of the divine essence. Every Jew has such powerful connection. And that's why in the other letter with Alter Rebbe writes about pain and suffering. Letter number 11. 
which is, you can find the lessons in Tanya.com, the Rebbe seems to describe a level which is the highest level, and yet he's writing this, it's included in the Tanya, the children included in the Tanya, which is for every Jew. But the simple answer is because all the distinctions between one Jew and another Jew is only on the surface, on the conscious level. But when you get to the core and the essence, the faith, the simple faith, the simple faith is infinite. The simplest Jew can access and reach the highest levels. With faith you can move mountains, you can change the world, you can, one mitzvah, one Jew, you can change the whole world and bring redemption, transform human consciousness. It's like a nuclear explosion, ready to happen. So in that, in that theme, the Rebbe says, well, what do you have to schlep and spend weeks and come to me and I'm going to help you? Well, what? Talk to Hashem. What do you want for my life? Just talk to Hashem directly. That, that's what I'm teaching you. You have a direct connection. Yes, the Rebbe is the intermediate, but it's an intermediate that connects. It's not an intermediate that divides and separates, God forbid. Rebbe shows us that we have a direct connection with Hashem. Every Jew says, Baruch Atah, we speak to Hashem directly. The Rebbe is the embodiment of that essence that every Jew has a core, essential connection, a divine connection that's inherent, innate. We're born with it. No human fingerprints in it. And the Rebbe ignites that connection, inspires that connection, and embodies that connection, and lives and breathes that connection and awakens that connection within each and every one of us. So come to the Rebbe to awaken that connection. But do you have a need? Do you have a physical need? Talk to Hashem well, directly. Well, what? Where is this heard of? It's unheard of, he says. Your love is blinding you, leading you to crazy conclusions, weird conclusions. Schlep for weeks and come to me and ask me about your physical needs. Run to the Rebbe. Says, your love is blinding. It's not the way. It's not the Jewish way. Speak to Hashem directly. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.